Welcome back to another episode of Millennials in Healthcare. I'm your millennial, Miguel Johns, here with my special guest, also millennial, Dr. Keith Sparks. How are you doing today? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So um, I met Keith maybe a couple years ago, mingling in the entrepreneurial community. Yep. Um, ever since then, have guys become a, a great resource, a good friend. Um, I really, really um, am amazed by his wealth of knowledge in regards to the human body, human sports performance, nutrition. Um, luckily for me, of course, being an old guy, still trying to play flag football, getting injured, um, I can go to Dr. Keith and he can he can get me right. So um, tell, why don't you tell the people a little bit about your background, how you got into um, sports medicine, chiropractic work. Um, take them way back. I want to hear if you had like an intuition when you were a kid, all that good stuff. Man, that's loaded. Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely wasn't ready for that question. Awesome. Um, if, if we go all the way back, you know, when we're even in elementary school, they, they give you like these aptitude almost tests where they're mm -hmm. like, hey, you're going to answer these 10 questions. Somehow this is going to define you and what your interests are. <laughs> Uh, mine always repeatedly showed there was going to be something in healthcare. Nice. Um, kind of fast forward, I played a lot of competitive soccer. That's That was my sport. That's what I loved doing. Ended up getting injured. We'd, we'd go to these weekend tournaments. We'd play three, four games. And always by the second game on Saturday, my back just hurt. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up going with family physician, great guy. Just it, it wasn't enough to fix the issue. Um, so then my parents took a chance going to a chiropractor. Neither one of them ever been. And it you know, it, it helped and it worked out. And then kind of fast forward to college, kind of looked and go into PT, chiropractic, anything with uh, sports performance. I did athletic training at Mizzou for a couple of years and that was fantastic. It gave me a big eye opener to a lot of healthcare and on rehab and performance side of stuff. And, you know, kind of fast forward, here we are today. Nice, nice. Um, so, so go, going through that, uh, chiropractic school in Missouri, what were some of the big things that, that stood out to you um, that, one, were impressive? So what was happening, the new kind of trends that got you excited, but then, two, um, the problems that you seen needed to be solved? Yeah, I think a really big eye-opener for me was when I, when I was at Mizzou and I was doing athletic training, I really got to see where the world of rehab was in sports performance. Um, a lot of the stuff at the time was um, very based on modalities, as in like ice, heat, stem, um, Graston was coming out a little bit. There, there was just this whole world, laser was coming out. There was this whole world of passive modalities. And then kind of jumping forward to chiropractic school, I got involved in a lot of different groups and organizations, one being a MPI Motion Palpation Institute, and they're very big on active recovery. So it, it was interesting seeing like, Sports and rehab performance was very, to my knowledge at the time, was very passive modalities trying to get to care, where the new stuff coming out was more about active care. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a huge eye-opener for me, going to seminars um, with some friends at the time, and still friends to this day. They, you know, I just don't get to talk to them too much because they're yeah. in other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the biggest thing, is seeing the transition between passive care to active care, and you're seeing that a lot more now in and sports and recovery performance. It's not just relying on those type of passive modalities, laser, um, ultrasound, mm -hmm. e-stim, but getting people up and moving, much like if you get turf toe, moving <laughs> toe a lot in certain directions to get recovering, sparking as fast as possible. Yes, which by the way, 
played in a flag football tournament this last weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very sore today. Okay. Uh, but I was running, I was catching balls, and it was Good. a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah, so fun. I mean, without doing those exercises, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. So um, going through that process, the active, I know I can can relate to that with. So my grandmother, she just had knee surgery, uh-huh. um, and she has friends who had knee surgery, and all they want to do is sit around. But her doctor was huge on, you're getting up, you're walking, you're yeah, moving yeah. all the time. Um, so what would you say, um, I guess, the a way of thinking for people? When they get injured, it's so natural to be like, this is painful, like, I, don't, I just don't want to touch it. Yeah. Um, how could you kind of, how can we shift the mindset of the population um, to move more towards this active recovery? That's a, that's a huge, huge challenge, and, it, and it's it's very multifactorial. Mm-hmm. Like, cause we we can sit in there and we can coach and we say like, hey, you got to move. But until someone's willing to accept that and like, hey, I need to move, they're not gonna do it. Yeah. So it's not just about like a therapist, like a rehab specialist saying, hey, you need to get up in there and move. There's so much that goes into it, and not even kind of getting out of my wheelhouse talking about like nutrition and mm-hmm. psychology, but those are. Very, very big important factors to get people that have been sedentary for a long time mm-hmm. to get them up and move. And it's just as equal and important as what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of, one of the things I really like to say is movement is therapy. Uh, it, it, it needs to happen. We were not born to sit all day. Like otherwise, we would be literally a brick or a mm-hmm. tree. Like yeah. <laughs> we would not have joints. We not have muscles. We want to have active systems to move. Yeah. And so we need to push it. Very nice. So is that something that you think, um, so growing up, I'm thinking of back my PE classes. Uh-huh. Um, most of the time, PE was like dodgeball and mad ball, which by, <laughs> for, yeah, was a very good, a lot of fun. Um, is that something you'd like to see? Because I'm, I'm a huge believer that, for example, I always talk about how we didn't get one nutrition class in 12 years of school. Is that something you think could be incorporated in a school system? How do you think that plays out? Is it something where it's only going to be serious athletes or the PE or the nutrition side <laughs> the movements giving the, movement. the mind shift making that mind shift happen at yeah. scale yeah um, that movement movement is is where it's at movement matters. oh yeah we there's a great um I don't want to say group or philosophy but it's called DNS it's, it stands for dynamic neuromuscular stabilization it was created by Pavel Kolaj, who is a peds neurologist. Nice. And it's, he looks at how we develop as a human species, how do we develop milestones for care. So you see like movement patterns across all countries happen at the same time. So like you don't teach a baby how to crawl, walk, stand, sit up. They figure out the best natural position and repeatedly move through it to challenge it to get to the next stage. Very interesting. Um, so we know there's this ingrained motor pattern that we have as humans. The problem that happens is we become sedentary. So taking away PE and all those recess um, activities that, that we used to have, and you are starting to see that where schools are taken away because we need to push the academic side to show like our school is superior, our kids are passing their boards or whatever it may be. I don't even know what they call me anymore. I call them boards because I'm just in grad school so long. Um, so you don't you don't see as good quality of movement in young athletes because they're not always challenged on that side of stuff. And so now you're starting to see injury rates in youth, youth athletes also skyrocket. Yeah. So it's it's very important to get 
kids moving efficiently and often as soon as possible so that way later on in life if they decide to go into sports they have reduced injuries mm -hmm. even if they don't get into sports they still have good motor patterns to help prevent a fall yeah like it's one of those things you can never guarantee but we see that with certain types of injuries there's not a strong connection to the brain body awareness as someone who does have that stuff yeah yeah and so a couple things that i um, really liked you mentioning there one, um, actually I'll try to name all three so I can remember to come back to them. Um, one is the paradox of increasing academics by taking away recess and movement, which actually does the opposite, mm -hmm. um, as I'm sure you're aware. Yep. Um, number two, um, do you think that if we allow people to, because you said babies kind of learn naturally on their yeah. own, so oh, yeah. if we allow people to get out and move and stay moving, do you think we'll learn these the right movement patterns, or is there a point where it's like, we, we need now to be taught like Olympic lifts and incorporate those things. And number three, so Collins, help me remember. Yeah, you guys have, I'll get on right now. You have to help me. Okay. Uh, so then number three is um, people today also, you said for athletes and preventing falls, I think there's a mass amount of population who live in pain but get so used to it oh, yeah. that it's just like, oh, yeah, I just have knee pain for the last 10 years. That's just regular. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I see that all the time. It drives me crazy, too. It's like, they come in, come in, they'll be like, oh, my left knee hurts. It's been like that for years. It's like, it's just because I'm getting old. It's like, well, does your right knee hurt? No. <laughs> like, you don't have to live in pain. Like, yeah. I know you get used to it, but no. Yeah. Um, so kind of jumping back to... Yeah, uh, let's go back to this. Yeah, because like I said, I'll talk yeah. these rants. <laughs> Um, movement patterns are vital. Like, they are. Does does every child need focus on it? No. Like, you, not every child does. Like, you'll see, um, I'll have athletes, even young athletes or even children come in and I'll have their, their parents bring in, like, a video of, like, hey, if they're playing on the playground, bring me their video. Mm -hmm. If they're playing baseball, bring me their video. If they're playing basketball, bring me their video. I want to see how they're moving. Mm -hmm. And then from that, we can identify if they need it or not. It's not... This blanket idea like every kid needs something. That's totally not true. Like, it, it's not at all. Do some? Sure. Um, now, going on to, like, the Olympic lifting aspect of it all, I, I see that quite a bit, um, which is a challenge because <laughs> with anything, you kind of got to stay in your lane mm -hmm. to, like, you can grow and people get awareness of you and accept what you're doing and, and, and listen to a little bit more that you have to say. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to Olympic lifting and young athletes, I don't think it should happen. I really don't. Um, it, it's too fast of a progression, but strength could, I was just having this conversation with my father-in-law yeah. yesterday, so it's really funny we kind of got here. <laughs> um, but strength coaches, they want to be able to say, my athletes throw up these type of numbers. Mm. Like, and, and, and that's not always safe or smart. So like you can put 500 pounds on a high school athlete in a squat doesn't mean he can squat it. Like, mm -hmm. you could go straight down and break his break his knees, break his back. You know, something yeah. like extreme example. Yeah. Um, but the Olympic lifts, they're very fast. They're very um, they're very high-level skill to be able to do mm -hmm. them. When I have kids come in and they can't even deadlift or squat, like, they don't know the difference between the move, two movement patterns. They should be learning that in PE. Mm -hmm. Like, they should learn that stuff at a young age. Every child, in my opinion, should be able to come in post-elementary and show a great squat and a deadlift form and it doesn't happen and then you try to go and load it with weight it's a terrible terrible recipe for disaster and, mm -hmm. and injury it it's it happens a lot though yes i mean just thinking back to 
our middle school weight program. None of us ever lifted before in our life. No. Uh, and then they just kind of cut us loose into like doing squats, yeah. box squats. Uh, we would do bench press where you're like squirming and getting up one side of the bar and yeah. all that stuff. It was, uh, it was a tragedy. That's probably why we had so many injuries at our high school. Um, so that's interesting. So um, not, no Olympic lifts, but wanting to get people on those movement patterns yeah. at a young age so yeah. that when they move into loaded weight, yep. um, they're in a much better position. There, there's a term in, terminology called GPP, um, which Dan John, um, Pavel Setsaloon are fantastic at talking about. They're, mm-hmm. they're very smart strength coaches out there. I, the reason I, I give them a plug in here and mentioning it is everyone should know who they are if they're in the strength or conditioning, conditioning world, even for PE. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have good GPP, which is just general physical capabilities in elementary school, like good movement patterns, just doing somersaults, cartwheels, um, jumping, like making sure you have good patterns at that age, mm-hmm. loading them through middle, start loading them through middle school as in doing deadlifts, doing yeah. squats, not getting crazy on the variations, just tr- creating good patterning of movement. And then as they get older, if they have that good patterning, then start loading them with more complex lifts involving higher speeds, more weights, which typically transition into like snatches, mm-hmm. cleans and jerks, more of the Olympic lifting side. Okay. Okay. Very cool. That's, I mean, that's great information for a lot of the parents out there. Um, young parents who probably have kids maybe moving into the kindergarten age, even older parents who've got their kids are in middle school now. They may be worried about um, weightlifting. Of course, growing up, one thing we always heard um, was you don't want to start doing any of that because it's going to stunt your growth. That's so not true. Right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's been disproved and left and right. Like, that's just entirely not true. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of those things where this is what I heard. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. I heard the same thing. It's like, no, you shouldn't do that before you're no 16 or something. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that's really good to know. Um, so then back to the paradox of um, schools cutting out things like recess and um, focusing more on academics. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a good meeting on Friday last week about um, how how performance works, and I think it was Daniel Pink's book Win, and it was talking about your circadian rhythms, but also your like work rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that there was a study done where kids were tested in the morning and then tested um, in the afternoon, and of course they performed way better in the morning. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody thought, well, we need to do all testing in the morning then. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they ran the test again, where they gave them a quick 30-minute break before the afternoon test. Um, They told them to get out, move, get some sun, all that good stuff, and then they performed just as well in the afternoon. Yeah, Yeah, but for some reason, we're just kind of ignoring this stuff, I guess. (laughs) Um, So what are your thoughts on... um, So recess, when I was growing up, it was... Uh, we'd get three a day. Uh-huh. They'd be probably 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Um, they'd be spread out nice around lunch. Yeah. Um, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely took those days for granted. Uh, but um, so when you think about that is, do you like kids just being out there playing? Do you think as they get older, maybe it becomes more structured and maybe we teach them movement patterns in uh-huh. there? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I definitely think both. Like, like when they're young, just let them go out and play. Mm-hmm. If you if you identify like there's something going on, like they don't move right, then maybe like you make it a little more one on one. But don't get too specialized in that until they get a little bit older. Okay. Um, yeah, that I I like to take a little bit of the less is more approach with that. Mm-hmm. It's being able to have good information at recognizing when some some child or group of kids aren't moving well mm-hmm. and seeing it how that's affecting them because it does like you look at youth sports and 
and not saying like things are popularity contests or mm-hmm. any of that sort, but you do. You see like kids who move well typically are better at sports, which then are a little bit more social and and, inter- and engaging with their their peers, mm-hmm. regardless of what age it is. Yeah. So and it's not that that one kid or kids that didn't have that good movement pattern don't have friends or anything like that, but it does start creating separations early on in life that we don't even think about. Because mm-hmm. um, kids are very, very smart, very aware to where they can't even vocalize it yet. And a great example is you see babies that can sign language, <laughs> like just like hungry, milk, like yeah. all the sign languages. Like you can't verbalize that, Yeah. but they learn how to cue that before they can ever speak. It blows my mind. They're so much more self-aware and don't know how to communicate their feelings of things quick enough. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. I know that's a little bit of a tangent. Sorry. No, that's good. That's good. good. That's good. I like it. I like it. Um, so one thing I've noticed in, of course, being in your, in your profession, it, it may be a requirement, um, but I know health coaches who don't live fully healthy and all that good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but you have amazing movement patterns. Um, so your range of motion, um, I know you did CrossFit for a little mm-hmm. bit, so overhead squats, front squats. When I go into your office and you're showing me some of the movements, I'm sitting there like, he doesn't have thoracic flexion like I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, were you always kind of very mobile from a young age, um, or did you like put in a lot of work? Let's hear I about that. put a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so when I started grad school, I was a wreck. Like I had knee pain, like both knees, shoulders, back pain. Oh, I was a train wreck. <laughs> Um, and it wasn't until I joined some clubs at school that were focused on the active side of recovery mm-hmm. that I figured out how to move better. Like movement is therapy. Anytime we, we repeatedly move through something that's not towards an ideal pattern, it potentially increases wear and tear, which increases inflammation, which increases pain. Mm-hmm. Now, is pain way more complex than just saying like, that's how pain happens. Yeah, it definitely is way more complex than that. You can get an MRI of someone's like back who is just trash, and you ask them like, "Hey, have you ever had low back pain?" No, never. <laughs> so it's not a correlation uh, to wear and tear to pain, mm-hmm. but can it increase chances? Yeah, definitely. So going back to it is you need to learn how to move efficiently. Um, the issue with that sometimes, and I even listened to some stuff with Greg Glassman. Um, with CrossFit is rehab specialists being too much on the rehab side of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I do agree with that. Like we, we make up a lot of these little tiny exercises that might be relatively worthless, but you're like, Oh, the EMG studies show like there's five four five 5% more activity when we do it this way versus Mm -hmm. that way. It's like at some point you're like, it's just too much. So Mm -hmm. like just getting kids to learn how to move right through jumping, rolling over, um, it's just basic human movement patterns, climbing, crawling, stuff like that, and then loading on the weight with, if it's yoga, if it is stuff like rock climbing, if it's weightlifting, and then being able to load accordingly on simple movements mm-hmm. is, is huge. And that for me, that's what I had to do. I had to go back in and relearn how to crawl. Like, I know it sounds weird. Yeah. Um, I dislocated my elbow in, in grad school. I got on a longboard trying to do some tricks I hadn't tried <laughs> since I was, like, in middle school. Terrible decision. Absolutely terrible decision. I thought I broke my elbow. Uh, anyways, I, I dislocated it. And uh, after that process, like, going through the rehab, I was in the gym one day, and I was just playing around. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to cartwheel. I just want to see what, see what happens. Uh. So I, I can't remember which way I did it anymore, but I, I led with my left, and let's just say hypothetically it's that way, and it was perfect, no problem. 
I, I tried to go with my right. I couldn't do it. My brain literally would not allow me to try to do a cartwheel that direction. And so for me, it was showing like there's this huge neurological block and how I wanted to activate and move and stabilize that side, like connecting the body. Uh-huh. And so to think like that's that was a sh- not a huge factor into what happened to me, I, I, I fully don't believe it. There's definitely a correlation yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, good movement patterns, being able to have good body awareness is huge on how we stabilize and move as human beings. Very interesting. So you mentioned something there that um, I'm working with you in the past. I loved hearing you talk about it. It made so much sense as you broke it down. The neurological blocks. Mm. Yeah, let's get a little bit into that. Um, And for the people who have never heard of it, maybe give a quick background um, yeah. And maybe some of the main ones that you see with the American population or world, I mean, we'll, we'll just stay American population. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, neurological blocks, um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways like we can categorize and, and describe things. For me, in that kind of discussion talking about neurological blocks is, is ways our brain isn't effectively communicating with our mus- muscular system to control our joints and our bones. Mm-hmm. It happens for a lot of different reasons. Could it be poor early development as a baby? Like we didn't hit certain milestones correctly? Yeah, definitely. I see that a lot. Um, there's a lot of awesome cues or visual things that you can see. Like, yeah, you didn't get good development early on in life. Mm-hmm. Can some of it come from sports? Yeah. To where, let's say you get an injury, your brain recognizes, hey, I got injured this way. I don't want to, let's say, roll an ankle the same way. Mm-hmm. So my brain's going to go in and it's going to lock up certain muscles harder to help prevent it from rolling that direction again, Mm -hmm. which is perfect. If you think about it, that is an incredible thing your brain and body connection is capable of doing is trying to stabilize itself and preventing a future incident to happen. But now you lose potentially active range of motion, which is also not good. Like you need to be able to train out of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So like I said, we're, we're designed to be mobile, not, not a rock. Like that, that's not us as a human species. Like we need to move. Yeah. Um, the other reason a lot of times is vanity. And I, I think that's, that's a huge one. And it's not really talked about is this hourglass figure. You'll see like with women, let's say we're like straw in your stomach. Uh-huh. That's a terrible stabilizing strategy. It's a terrible breathing strategy. Our belly actually needs to relax and hang out. Kind of mm. let the beer belly hang, which mm. is not vanity like it's not like this ideal image that we have in our head like women think they need to be thin men need to be super buff have this b big v cut from the lat shoulders lats down into to the core and into the the pelvis mm. and that's not a good way to stabilize you look at some of the best athletes in the world and i'm going to pull out rich froning for this uh-huh. um, if you look at him when he's going through the games and he's just beat in a workout his 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 positioning through movement is literally flawless like the man is incredible at stabilizing under fatigue very nice um and he he doesn't care like he's not up there like oh worried about his vanity he worries about his performance and his function of things and that goes into his physique yeah not the other way around and because that he's very strong and he has this build that most men would love to have oh yeah oh yeah and he's multiple time champion too yeah (laughs) doing something right there for sure Doing something right there for sure. Um, so, um, I mean, a while back, 
in my college career, tore both my hamstrings, and that was one of the things I first came to speak to you about. Um, got a great exercise from you, the bear crawl. Since then, have had no hamstring problems. I do it Sweet. every single time I work out, uh, my hamstrings. I'm honestly, I'm, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I'm almost just as fast as I was in college. Nice. Um, simply because I honestly give all the credit to my bear crawl. I was like, I want to give all the credit to the bear crawl. Um, what would be some major mobility exercises that say somebody who's wanting to get active, they don't want to start lifting weights yet, mm-hmm. um, but they feel tight, they feel in knots, they want to bring back some mobility, what would be maybe three or four simple things that they could start with that they can then, of course, they can't see right now, so yeah. they'll go research them, yeah. um, but what would be some go-tos, some basic functional ones? Um, so if I'm going to say like global, instead of not saying like uh, a lot of times when people come see me, they're like, hey, I have pain. Mm-hmm. So I got to kind of focus and, and, and do the assessment based off of that and yeah. then narrow it down like yeah, what's the limiting course. factor for the pain and what needs to happen with that stuff. Yeah, yeah. If we're just looking for like general mobility and performance stuff, yeah. I think foot awareness is crucial. Like it, it is something I see all the time. People cannot effectively move their toes and stabilize their arches and for their feet correctly. I think it's very, very important because it's the only, for a lot of times, it's the only contact we have with the ground. It is a huge way we register stability for our body. So I think, um, I call them toe wiggle drills. I did not coin that. It's not like special to like, hey, I created this. Um, It's something I got from DNS, Dynamic Mm -hmm. Neuromuscular Stabilization. Um, we, we do have some YouTube videos that we've covered on it. Sweet. We'll, we'll be but, trying to post those in the links. Yeah, great. Um, but there, there's, there's a lot of, I guess I'm, what I'm getting with on the DNS stuff, when you're looking at performance, it is a very valuable tool to find someone in your area, wherever you live. It's here in Wichita. Mm-hmm. If it's North Carolina, I don't know why I picked that, but whatever, <laughs> um, to check out because they'll, they'll be able to have very similar skill sets. Okay. Um, so foot, toe wiggle drill for foot, foot awareness is huge. I would also say a deep doorway squat, very similar to like a goblet squat, where in the doorway, like you can hold on, you can give yourself this extra sense of stability by grabbing onto something and allowing your body, your ankles, your knees, your hips to be able to sit down deep into a squat. Very nice. The body is very much um, like a coin. I know this sounds weird, but Mm -hmm. it has a heads and it has a tails and it together makes up the coin. It needs mobility, but it also craves stability. If you get those two together, you have very good human performance nice. and, and body awareness. If you lose one, it affects the other. Very nice, very nice, very interesting. Um, love that, love that. Um, so before we close up here, where do you see the, the, this world of human performance going, both for the sports side um, but also for the general population side. And we'll kind of, mm. let's say we're ignoring if we get worse like over the next 10, 15 years, but eventually like the utopia uh, for performance, for human performance. Yeah, I think there needs to be, not saying you want to like ignore 30s and after, like, mm. but at some point like when you try to accommodate everyone, things get lost mm. and, and it gets frustrating and energy wise and focus like you don't want to say like ignore that population but if you could really focus in on the youth mm-hmm. it's huge like if you could just teach them how to move efficiently when they're young start loading them with with different patterns um 
if it goes into yoga for them, if it goes into weightlifting, if it goes into rock climbing, like whatever their advanced human movement skill set that they enjoy doing, let them go with it. But teaching them young, like has to, has to happen. Mm-hmm. Like you will see so much, if you can teach that, you're going to see so much injury rates decline and, and sports but also the general population because a lot of times like I like here we're talking about some sports stuff but there's no difference when we for instance like when we look at an ACL tear 70% of ACL tears are non-contact injuries mm-hmm. like they weren't like in a football game where someone came in and like hit them at the knees it's it's grandma slipping on the ice you know like like she didn't have good brain body connection to feel her feet and her body sliding out. And so she didn't have enough time to efficiently react, to stabilize, to prevent her from getting into that injury. Mm-hmm. So it's it's mu- it's just as important to teach movement patterns for the young as it is for the old. Like I'm not trying to like ignore that population. It's just if we could teach them now young and make it a staple, this, this baseline criteria, you're going to see things just drastically improve, in my opinion. Yeah, very nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming by, sharing amazing nuggets, dropping multiple resources. If you guys are wanting information, check those people out, all the people that he mentioned. Um, dive in. Yeah, yeah, dive into some of those people um, that he talked about. Um, great stuff, man. Thank Appreciate you. it. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having me. Yep, we will catch you guys next week on Millennials in Healthcare. Peace out.